I'm Ellie Swift, ex-corporate marketer turned CEO and seven-figure business mentor for high-performing women building and scaling their soul-led, intentional, and profitable online businesses. I've coached hundreds of women to make six, multi-six, and seven figures using my signature Swift marketing method. And in this podcast, I'll teach you the strategy, marketing, and mindset to help you do the same. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to a very, very special episode of Shine Online with Ellie Swift. You are listening to our 100th episode. Cue all the pom-poms. It feels like a very, very exciting milestone to be here celebrating this episode with you. Before I talk about what's to come, I just want to say a really, really big thank you, first and foremost. You might have listened to, hell, maybe you've listened to all 100 episodes. Maybe you're a brand new listener and this is the first time you're tuning in. Maybe you've listened to, you know, one-tenth of these episodes. Whether you've been in my world for a really long time, whether you're newer here, I'm so incredibly grateful for you. I think about each and every one of you every time I sit down and record these podcasts. And it just means so much to me that you're listening in and uh, getting a lot from the content, which, you know, I I know you are from DMs and feedback and all the things. And that honestly is the fuel that keeps me going. So thank you for being here. I love this podcast so, so much. Okay. So let's talk about the episode today. Now, when the team and I were considering what we wanted the episode to look like, we played with a whole bunch of different options. And the one that we just kept coming back to was this really being an episode that was first and foremost, just going to serve and support you. And so with that in mind, we decided to have this episode as one where I answer your questions, your burning questions, your anonymous questions, which any anonymous questions are like a whole other breed of questions. Um, And to do that, I wanted to bring on someone really special to help with those questions by asking them, someone to come in and host essentially and take over the mic. Uh, and that person is your favorite guest who's been on the podcast twice before, my darling husband, Che Robinson. Welcome. Thank you so much. Great to be back. Does this just feel like a comfy seat now? You're like, yes, I, yeah. I'm basically co-host. Absolutely. No, no, it's, uh, I'm definitely getting into the swing of it now. And uh, to be invited back for a third time. Wow. What a, what an honor and a privilege. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I'm about to hand over the reins, which is, you know, not my favorite thing to do. <laughs> Hashtag control freak. So Che is going to hop on the mic and assume the role of host. And then we are going to dive on in to a whole bunch of questions that you've asked. There's some good ones in here as well. A lot of things that I I don't know whether I've spoken about them before. So over to you, my darling. What I've gone through and done here is I've kind of like broken them up into categories, right? So I've gone Mm. through each question and it's kind of spanning business and personal, but we sort of got uh, like four categories which is sort of personal and then kind of like questions around like your business journey and like challenges that you've uh, you've sort of come across and overcome. And then like 
questions around like the start of your business and then ones on money and strategy. Okay, so you ready to have a crack into it? I sure am. Awesome. So we're going to kick things off with uh, personal questions. Uh, So here we go. So question one was, uh, what's a secret you kept from your parents? I feel like my parents now know most things that I did when I was a teenager, but I was a really, really naughty teenager. So um, I feel like I've spoken about this on the podcast before, but I was definitely the teenager that was getting like really good grades at school, but on the weekends was going out and partying and being really naughty at the same time. And it was almost like that was the ultimate in rebellion was being like, yeah, I am really naughty. Yes, but I'm still getting really good grades and doing really well. So how can you ever tell me off for that? And so I definitely drank a lot of vodka cruises. I feel like anyone in Australia in their early thirties is going to appreciate the fact that I drank a lot of vodka cruises. I smoked weed when I was 13. I um, was going to parties a lot when I was that age. They all know these things now, but at the time they didn't. I feel like your parents probably, like knowing your parents as good as I do now, they probably would have been pretty cool with it had they found out. But I feel like you know them as being really cool now, but I feel like they got cooler when my brother went through that phase as second child. But I had to like break all the the first time boundaries with everything. Um, And so I just felt like I was constantly fighting my parents like that you don't understand being a second child. Like the, all the, the groundwork for Chris. Literally, I just laid all the groundwork for my brother where I was like, I'll have all the conversations about curfews, just like have all those fights. And then yeah. he came through and was just like, this is He's easy. going to have like a full cushy run from there. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay, well, let's keep it rolling. The next personal question was, what are your top Spotify songs? Okay, so I don't know what my exact top songs are, but I could probably guess. So I listen to a lot of pop. For anyone that's that doesn't know this, Che and I actually met through music. So I used to know loads about music, used to have a really great music taste. And these days I'm just back to my roots of I just love pop music, like love top 40 hits pop is just like my favorite thing in the world. And I'm so, so happy to own that. So on high rotation at the moment is the new Harry Styles album, lots of Beyonce always. And one that's probably um, just like a little bit more surprising is that I listen to heaps of instrumental music when I'm working. So can never ever listen to anything with lyrics while I'm working because I'm and, and you always tell me this actually that I like I really get into lyrics and listen to lyrics a lot because you always more are listening to like the guitar melody and and like what's going on musically. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I agree. I think that even for myself when I'm trying to do some sort of like deeper focus type work, like even though I don't pay as much attention to the lyrics, it's, it can be super distracting. It really is. I I just find I can't I can't get into any lyrics when I'm trying to do anything, especially because most of my work is like writing or strategy or that brain work. So I listen to heaps of instrumental. I really loved the Bridgerton instrumental soundtrack. Remember when I was listening yeah. to that a whole lot because it's just these amazing classical symphonies of pop songs, just yeah. so good. What yeah. are your thoughts on modern country music? Just while we're on the top on the uh, on the subject. 
I feel like that's so such a <laughs> planted. Well, that is something else that Che and I listen to a lot. So another side note on why we listen to like modern country, it's called bro country, right? So a little while back, Che and his brother and some of their friends started listening to like bro country. And initially they started listening to it kind of ironically. It was like this core song that got us all into it was you were listening to hunting, fishing, loving every day. It was the one, yeah. And we were just laughing because we're like, this is just so us because love the outdoors and Che and his brother like love fishing so much. And uh, we started listening to it. And then we realized country music was really good. And we all developed this massive love of country music and it no longer became ironic. And it actually just turned into this thing that we were all obsessed with. So bro country is definitely something that gets cranked in our house a whole bunch. So when we say bro country, we're talking about like Luke Bryan, Florida, Georgia line. We haven't listened to it for a while, but I feel like whenever we go on road trips, it's one of our number one things that we crank. Again, just great slash terrible pop music. You can't deny its catchiness, right? It's very catchy. And the lyrics certainly paint a picture and whatnot. But, yeah, I feel like we kind of reached saturation point with it and and now we're kind of giving it just a teeny little break. I feel like it's necessary. Yeah, yeah. It's like, And also it was kind of like a guilty pleasure and now it's very much out there. Awesome. Well, let's keep moving. So there's no way to really segue into this one. It's uh, switching gears for sure, though. But this question from someone, uh, personal question, is are you judgmental? Such an interesting question, isn't it? So when I saw this come through, I was so I was so intrigued by this question. And obviously, you know, that my first thought is to wonder where a question like this comes from and you know what context it's coming from. Because often a question like this might be asked when someone's feeling like they don't want to be judged. Mm-hmm. And so the best way that I can answer this is. In short, no, I, I definitely wouldn't describe myself as being judgmental in in any way. The kind of longer version of that is that for me, being judged is something that I really personally loathe. Like judgmental behavior is a real pet peeve of mine. I hate feeling misunderstood because somebody has just created a perception about me that's that's not based on anything substantial. And let's face it, that happens a lot in the online space. It's really common. And I'm sure that we do it, you know, we all do it without intention or meaning to, but mm-hmm. there's so, so many times when I've, you know, heard of these just really random uh, perceptions of me. And I'll talk a little bit more about some of them as we keep moving through, but I am so mindful of, of judgmental behavior. It's something that I really dislike. And so personally, I really aim to, to not be judgmental. I, uh, I can't say that I'm going to get that right all the time, but I would say that I, the way that I show up is one where I'm, I'm pretty judgment free. Okay. Next question. What are some of the things we might not know about you, i.e. hobbies? Okay. So let me know if you think that there's anything you want to add here, but Some things that you might not know are that I am obsessed with fiction. So I read roughly a book a week and I read for about half an hour to an hour before I fall asleep every night. I sleep a lot as well. Like I'm an eight hour sleeper. I love my sleep. I also really love food and wine. Again, I feel like I've talked about so many of these things, but something you might not know if I, if we're out at dinner as a group, 
I'm often the one that's ordering for everyone, like love ordering off the menu. We'll absolutely get everyone to share and so happily order like five different pastas and entrees and all the things. I love wine. I love cocktails. And I actually feel like I'm going through a real thing where we talked about this in Bali, remember, where I'm going through a phase with cocktails that I maybe went through for years with wine, where I feel like I'm developing a real appreciation for what constitutes a good cocktail. For the record, it's a cocktail where there's heaps of consideration around the palate. I really love like tequila cocktails or pisco sours or whiskey sours. And it's something that's got like a long finish with, you know, a mix of like sweet and salty and so good. But I'm having a real cocktail moment right now. We both love the outdoors. I mean, obviously I'm answering these for me, but speaking to you as well. We yeah. we love the outdoors. We spend a lot of time outdoors. We have Fran, our van. We go boating a lot in summer. So something else that people might not know about me is I my whole childhood was just growing up on the water. So every weekend would always be out boating and Che was the same. And it was really interesting when you and I actually got together because I'd never ever met somebody who had that same kind of boating childhood that I did. And it was obviously something we really connected over. So we spend a lot of time boating. We plan on getting our own boat sometime in the next 12 months, but right now we use our parents' boats a lot. And so there's almost been no need to because boats are a depreciating asset that require a lot of maintenance costs. And so we're definitely um, being smart for as long as possible with um, not necessarily purchasing a boat yet. I don't really like traditional hobbies like arts and crafts. Like I'm, I'm the last person that you would invite to like a, like a painting class or um, even like a pottery class. You'd probably have to really twist my arm to go to anything like that. I would much rather go and swim at the beach or write. I love to write. I don't do it as much as I would like to, but it's always something where I'm like, I wish I spent more time writing. I swim every morning in the summer in the ocean near our house. Again, I feel like these are all things that if you've listened to the podcast for a while now, you know already, but loads of outdoor stuff. I read a lot. I spend a lot of time these days on the couch cuddling Olive. You read a lot. You also read fast. Oh yeah, that's a fun fact. Like I remember being quite literally astonished by how quick you read (laughs) still to this day. So like, I think you read a lot, like you say, like each night, like without doubt, there's always like at least an hour of reading before bedtime. But I feel like you get through the books because you just read so fast, right? Would you agree? Yeah, I don't get into the detail in books. So I'll skim sentences and lines. Sometimes I'll read something where I'm really, really like savoring every single word, but for the most part, I tend to skim things that are less important. I don't love like big character development. It's the same as how when I watch, actually, that's another fun fact is like, it takes a lot for me to be really absorbed in a TV series. I need like a quick plot. Yeah. I need something that's going to keep my attention. So like, for example, we watched Ozark for a few episodes and I was so bored. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's true. I'm just going to circle back um, to the song thing, because I have a fun fact that people might not know about you. You have an amazing ability to remember song lyrics. Oh yeah, I do. That's true. 
<laughs> you shared that already. Apologies. I, I share with my masterminders that one of my talents is that I can rap the lyrics to every word of um, like Eminem's album, Stan. But I do remember song lyrics. So I can listen yeah. to a song maybe a couple of times and then would be able to repeat the lyrics. And when I was in high school and uni, I did heaps of performance studies. And that was actually something that really supported me when I was doing a lot of acting was that I could recall and remember lines really quickly. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That would be a super helpful skill, right? Awesome. Well, that that kind of rounds out the personal category of the uh, questions. And so if you're happy to, we'll move right along to uh, more business-related stuff now. And this category is uh, regarding your business journey and particularly the challenges. So this is kind of like a two-part question by the looks of things. What's been the biggest challenge you've gone through and how did you overcome it? Uh, and what was also asked was what was the, numbers, uh, the number one sorry, mindset block you had to overcome to get where you are today and how did you overcome it? So biggest challenge you've gone through and overcome it and biggest mindset block and how you've overcome that. Yeah. So I combined these questions when I saw them come through because we had a whole bunch of questions and essentially it's the same answer for me. So the biggest challenge that I've been through is also the biggest mindset. It's also a mindset challenge. Mm. For me, the biggest mindset challenge on my journey has absolutely been that coming to the understanding that my worth isn't tied to my work. So when I consider the things that I've navigated in my business and the whole journey that I've been on, the biggest mindset thing for me has been unknowingly for many years, knowing that I've really needed to untangle um, who I am when I'm not working. So I spent, you know, the, the first few years of my business, it was not hard for me to work hard at all. Like I, I worked really hard, as you know, I, you know, showed up consistently, like that has never been hard for me. And I really empathize with people where showing up and doing the work is hard. That wasn't a challenge for me. It was always like, I can prioritize this because I know that I love to work and I'm going to make it happen and what have you. And so doing the work was, was definitely part of my success, Hmm. but fast forward to a few years in on my journey I got to a point and I say this to clients all the time of like, what got me here is not going to get me there. And the thing that got me to six figures in business was not the thing that was going to get me to the first million. And the biggest thing was that with that was knowing that my first million was not going to come through doing more work. I didn't have the opportunity to do that at that point. I was, I was very much at capacity in terms of my hours. And so I had to start looking at things in a different way and going, well, What does it mean then to create more success? It means more support. It means being way more strategic in my thinking and carving out really um, intentional time to be a CEO rather than just doing absolutely everything. It means handing things over and knowing that they're not necessarily going to be done in the way that I want them to. It means being okay with all of that. And it also means that for this business to be sustained long-term, I need to work less. And so stepping back and being able to work less was something that was so essential and also so hard. And so, you know, I I shared, and we'll link to it in the show notes, an episode a while back where I talked about my 17 hour work week, you know, there's been, and consistently seasons where I work less and less and less in the business. And those are my challenges. 
And it's also no surprise that that's usually the time when I actually earn more money is when I am working less because I'm being more strategic. I'm being smarter about how, how I'm working in the business and what I'm creating, but really disentangling from hours in the business being the thing that was going to get me the result. And for anyone that's not yet at six figures in their business, please don't hear any of this as work less because working really, really hard in your first few business few years of business is essential. And it's absolutely the thing that's going to get you to your first six figures, but it's not going to be the thing that sustains you from that place. So, so for me, the mindset piece is always about detaching myself from the work and knowing that the answer is not always working more in terms of how I've overcome that. It's a practice. It's an ongoing practice, but it's about knowing that the value I bring to my business comes through more than the hours that I spend in the business. It comes back to the fact that I am incredibly smart and know, you know, the work that I do so incredibly well. It comes back to the fact that I have so much experience in strategy and mindset and marketing. It comes back to the fact that I'm a very skilled coach. It comes back to all these other things and reasons that are not related to how much I work. And so the, the way I overcome it is really that consistent mindset work around remembering there's so much more to my success than work itself, which I do through things like journaling, uh, through affirmations, the daily consistent mindset work. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think you absolutely nailed that. I hope, hopefully that uh, answer satisfied the, the person who uh, asked the question. I'll keep moving. What moment in your leadership journey has been the most defining uh, or sort of incremental, pivotal for you so far? There was a mindset shift that took place for me about maybe 18 months ago when I had my first 100K cash month that as I grew and as I grow in my business, more people are not going to like me and have opinions about me and disagree with me and not be my ideal clients or not be people where I'm right for them. Mm. Because naturally, the more people in my orbit, the more people I'm going to A, attract towards me and also B, repel. Mm. That's natural. That's part of being a thought leader. That's part of being a leader. The more our communities grow, the more we grow in our business, the more we're naturally going to attract people and repel people. And that's actually the aim. Mm. And I really had to realize once I reached this point, and it was, of course, it was, you know, sharing, sharing a money win, sharing that I'd had my first hundred K month. And I really started to see a, my ideal clients lean the hell in, but also a lot of people really lean out. Mm. And it was really interesting to start to witness um, some of the feedback and like commentary that I got around that and just perceptions that people have. And I'm I'm actually going to talk about this a little bit more when we get down into starting out in business and privileges and things like that, because I think it's really useful to speak to that. But I had to move through this story of you know what? I'm not for everyone and that is totally okay. And the more time I spend wanting to be liked, the less I'm focused on what's most important. And what's most important is being really, really true to my mission and my purpose and my ideal client. And when I show up from that place, 
that's when I'm going to have the most impact. That's when my clients are going to get the best results. That's when everything is going to flow in the way that it's meant to. And spending time, wasting time thinking about other people's perceptions of me is really going to slow me down. It's going to make me feel burnt out for all the wrong reasons and it's just not going to be helpful. And so I had to really detach from what other people thought about me. And and it's honestly been one of the most freeing things. I really feel like I can share anything now in the online space and I just don't care what people think. I am so open to being wrong. I'm so open to changing my mind. I'm so unafraid in in sharing, knowing that there are absolutely going to be people that don't like me in every moment and that's just none of my business. Do you think you kind of develop that, cultivate that from doing primarily, obviously? Yeah, 100%. So it occurred, you know, when I was sharing about the 100K cash month, but it was certainly something where I'm sure up until that point, I'd been building more resilience around knowing that I wasn't for everyone. Mm -hmm. But the way through is certainly doing because you can sit on the sidelines and decide that you're not showing up in your business, you know, in, in all of the ways. And you're never, ever going to have anyone who might not like you because you're not putting yourself in the arena to not be liked. But of course, you're also not going to grow your business at the same time. So you really need to be in the arena, as Brene Brown would say, mm. to create that impact. This is a good question. How do you keep motivated when it's hard to reach your goal? So the first thing that I would say there is I detach from the goal. So if your only motivation comes through reaching your next goal, then you're probably going to spend a lot of your time feeling quite unmotivated. If that's the only thing that you've got, then that's really not a lot to work with, right? I mean, the whole reason that I'm in business primarily is because I love it. Like the joy for me is in the journey and when I'm, you know, giving advice to to anyone who's starting a business or thinking about their business, you will absolutely hear me say, like, you've got to do something that lights you up and you feel passionate about because money, for example, is just not enough to get you through working till 11 o'clock at night or those really hard days. Like you've got to be passionate about what it is that you're doing. Yeah. And so when you're really, really passionate about something, it's going to be so much easier to move through those hard days, move through those times when you feel like your goal feels really far away. But you can hear as I'm talking that all that motivation is coming through commitment and passion rather than attachment to the goal, right? When I create goals, I create them and I detach from them. And if you're a long-time listener, you will have heard me say so many times as well that I often don't reach my goals because I set big, audacious goals um, and I'm so okay to not reach them. Um, and that's really, you know, not not the even the objective. It's like who I'm becoming on the way to that goal. And so the more present we are when we're aiming to reach our goals, the more we can be focused on like what is that next step? What's the thing in front of me? What's the What does joy in this journey look like for me today? the more able we're going to be to create that consistent momentum. Because if the only thing you're focused on is your goal, you will likely feel incredibly unmotivated a lot of the time because there'll be such a strong disconnect between where you currently are and where your goal is. Yeah. Do you think people kind of just like think about it? They feel overwhelmed 
they feel like the mag the very magnitude of the gold is like the goal rather is, is so big and so lofty that it's probably unachievable and whatnot and therefore it kind of like i don't know sort of sets this sort of paralysis in people where they're just like oh and so is that you're saying so then you kind of break them down into smaller steps Something that I see with visionary creatives and entrepreneurial types is that where they fall over a lot of the time is because they can see so clearly into the future that it's stopping them from moving forward right now. So they can see where they want to be in 10 years. They can see, you know, the the freedom and the impact that they want to create but they can't necessarily see what that looks like for the next three months. And oftentimes what that looks like for the next three months is the complete and utter antithesis of what they want 10 years time to be. Yeah, it's a cruel irony sometimes, isn't it? Right. And so that's, that's so important to know is like, you can have the massive dream and vision, but if you're not focused on the next step in front of you, it's going to be really quite confronting to, to go down that path. I didn't know that I could ever create this level of success in my business. As you know, darling, like that was actually never my dream. Like a million dollar business was personally never my dream. I wanted a six figure business. I remember thinking when I was getting close to six figures, oh my God, if I created like $300,000 a year, that would be insane. Like think about how wealthy we would be if I created a business of like $300,000 a year. Mm. You know, my, my goals incrementally got bigger as I realize my potential through the journey. And now I'm not saying that you need to reduce your goals. That's absolutely not what I'm saying here. But, you know, we, we need to have these smaller goals within our bigger goal. If your only goal, if you're starting your business, let's say you're, you know, let's say you're currently earning 50K a year and your goal is that you want to have a $5 million business if your goal right now is to build the $5 million business and you're not creating smaller goals that will build you up to that $5 million, then you're going to get deterred really quickly because there's there's a long way between now and the $5 million. And I'm not saying that you can't shortcut a whole lot of those steps and you can't quantum leap through a whole lot of it because I absolutely believe in that expansive ability to move beyond time and quantum leap in insane ways. I absolutely believe that's possible. And if you believe that's the only option, then you're going to get deterred. So, you know, really focus on what is in front of you in this moment, find joy in that journey. And that's going to be the motivation for you. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So we're going to go, stay on the business topic. We're going to move into the next category now. We're going to go back to the beginning. I think we've got some questions here that are about the start of your business journey. So what did your week uh, routine look like when you first started and how did you decide to quit the security of your corporate job and go all in on your business? Did you have savings for like six to 12 months, that sort of thing? Yeah, I'm excited to answer this question. So got, I got asked about financial backing when I first started, I think three or four times in these questions, oh, wow. which I just found really, really interesting. And so I've never, ever talked about this before, but I'm really excited to talk about this in this moment because it kind of made me go, interesting. I wonder whether there's perceptions here that I need to, I need to speak to. You and I spoke about this the other day. But I have never had a handout from my parents in my adult life. Actually, I lie. 
once. Since the age of 17, there is one time I remember getting a handout from my parents. It was when I was 23 and I couldn't afford to fly myself back from London when I was living over there. But outside of that, I have not received money from my parents in the form of any kind of handout since I was 17. I am actually really, really proud that everything I've earned, I've done myself. I have funded everything I've done and created in my business and in my life, in my entire adult life. Now, the reason why I never talk about this is because of privilege. So let's just acknowledge privilege for a moment and the privilege that I have. I'm a white woman. I grew up in middle-class Australia. I went, you know, I'm tertiary educated. I have so much privilege. And so I don't talk about the fact that I am very independent and have always supported myself because I don't necessarily believe that is a conversation that is required because I'm also so mindful of the fact that I have a lot of privilege by the very nature of my upbringing, where I live, the color of my skin. And so because this question came up so much, I just thought it would be really important in this moment to clarify. I truly believe that my success in my business has come from my absolute, complete and utter unwavering commitment to this business being a success and doing the work to make it happen. And so when I decided that I wanted to start this business, I paid to study life coaching with the Beautiful You Coaching Academy. And then I was working full-time at that time. And then I started seeing clients in the evenings while I was still working full-time in my business. And then I started to you know, know that my time in corporate was coming to an end. And I started to seek out opportunities for how I could transition. So I didn't have a pot of money saved at that time. I think I had like five or $10,000 in savings. So, you know, next to nothing, but I knew, and I always recommend to my clients to have a plan for when they're leaving corporate. I personally am not a fan of leaping with no safety blanket. That's just never, ever supported me. It's not something that's going to support my my nervous system. It feels like so much pressure to leap when you don't have any kind of safety. Mm. And so that's something that I've never, ever done. But I knew that I was so ready to take the next step and that it was likely going to be a really long time before I was going to be able to, to save to make that leap. And so instead I was like, right, there needs to be an interim solution for me. So that interim solution looked like getting the role of social media manager at the Beautiful You Coaching Academy. That was my interim role when I transitioned out of corporate and into my coaching business. So I had that work to sustain me. And so my days looked like a combination of work for the Beautiful You Coaching Academy and client work. And that was the work that I did in um, my first year. I'm going to say this publicly, and I know you will vouch for this, that I fully supported my my way 50-50 when I went into my business. So I was on base. I had, I think I was earning around $50,000 a year. That was enough to get by and like pay our rent and all of those things, but I needed more to do all the lifestyle things that we love to do. And so 
that was very much where I was earning more through my business. And I was focusing on building my business so that I could earn more through that. And I was paying 50-50 in terms of all of our bills. The only thing in the first, I think, 18 months that you were paying for on top of that was we went on some really great holidays because you were working fly in, fly out. And we were in a season of wanting to travel a lot and you had loads of disposable income. I didn't. And so we traveled a whole lot that year. You paid for that. And in addition to that, that was the year before we bought our house and you had uh, saved like 70, 80% of that deposit. And so I didn't put in anywhere near as much of the deposit. I mean, it's a very different story now, but that was where we were at. I didn't have any financial backing to start my business. Again, it was all through being really considered in the work that I took on to transition myself across. If you are wanting to take the leap, my recommendation would always be to work out what it is that you need to earn to live in your year and knowing that it's probably going to be much less than you think. So I was on a six-figure salary um, when I worked in corporate. A lot of people say, I'll take the leap when I'm earning six figures in my business. You will burn out before that point. You will burn out before you can earn six figures in both your business and corporate. And so I would instead work out what do I need to be earning to live Mm -hmm. and then work out how you can make that amount and then transition across. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, that this would be um, one of the main barriers for people taking the leap, the financial barrier. But um, yeah, I remember that time and those days when you were seeing clients at the dining table in our little one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> Kicking you out of the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. Okay, so next question, top three pieces of advice for starting a business that hasn't got clients yet but has big dreams and goals. Okay, so obviously the way that I teach my clients is through the SWIFT marketing method, which is mindset, strategy, and marketing. And so I'm going to give you my top recommendation for each of these. So my biggest mindset recommendation is to really commit to your business and commit to being a business owner. So I call this CEO mindset, which is really assuming the role of being a CEO. Your business is not a hobby. You're not a freelancer. Like assume the role of being CEO of your business and make decisions as the CEO of your business. And so practically speaking, what that might mean is, you know, you might have a full day ahead of you and you're not sure what your business is going to look like today. And it could also be a really beautiful day outside. The human you is probably like, oh my God, I just want to go outside and like enjoy this beautiful day. But the CEO you has work to do because you're building your business and you've got priorities. And so always make the decisions as the CEO of your business. That's the first thing. Strategically, my recommendation from a strategy perspective is to find out what your strategy is and then execute on that. And this will likely involve finding a coach to help you. So my first investment recommendation is to get a coach because when you have a coach, you're going to fast track the entire process. The idea of starting a business without a coach is just wild 
to me because when you have a coach, you've got somebody who's supporting you to move through the process in your business. And so when I say get a coach, it might be through a mastermind because you're in community with other people who get it, which supports the process so much, or it might be that you want to work with a coach in another way. And so get a coach and then create a strategy that you execute on. And then marketing wise, show up every single day. You need to show up every single day to create the momentum, to get your face out there, to get and generate visibility. And so really commit to putting yourself out there each and every day, knowing that each of those three things is really going to help move you along. So that's like showing up every day on your socials. Yeah, exactly. So showing up every day on your socials, showing up every day online, showing up every day in the work that you're doing to move your business forward, whether it's that new connection that you're making, the new event that you're going to, the email that you're going to send to someone who might introduce you to someone else, like really commit to the work and also obviously show up from a visibility perspective. So showing up online. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Top three pieces of advice. Great. Next question. What do you do when you just can't seem to build the momentum and do the work to create the dream? Is it a mindset thing, a strategy thing, or something else entirely? So I feel like my answer could be a a little bit tough love here, but the thing that came up for me when I saw that question come through was, how bad do you want this? Like, how bad do you really want this? Because if you can't build the momentum or do the work to create the dream, like if that's the challenge, it sounds to me like it's not enough of a priority in your life right now. And I don't say that to make it wrong. I just say that as a truth. And I also want to share as a caveat here that, you know, I work with a lot of women who are in early season motherhood and there are seasons of life such as mamahood, especially little ones where It is absolutely harder to create the dream. It is harder to build something through those seasons. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that. But that said, there are still so many examples from my clients of where, yes, it might be harder to create the thing, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible. It doesn't mean that it's not something that's possible for you. And so it does take commitment. It does really require committing to the process and showing up and deciding that no matter what you're going to make it work, which means prioritizing your business above most other things in your life at, in that season, in that moment. Um, and so when I, when I read this, I was like, how bad do you want it? You know, are you really truly committed to this? Because that's what it's going to take is you being so fully committed to your business. Okay. We're going to move on to the next category, our fourth and final category which is about money and strategy (laughs) i know you make hundreds of thousands of dollars but how much do you net per year yeah awesome so this one required me to do calculations which was really fun to do so come on in as i take you through our financials for the last 12 months in the last financial year just gone so i'm i'm i've got figures from the last financial year that i'll speak to we did gross $970,000 so that was from july 2021 to june 2022 we did $970,000 gross in our business so our first million dollar year because obviously when you're 30k off the mill that is your million dollar year like 
that is our seven figure year. And I think also just full permission in sharing that, like, obviously we've owned that as our first seven figure year, right? We've celebrated that. It's semantics at this point, you know, it's a bit like if someone was like, I made $95,000 this year, I'd be like, you've had a six figure year, (laughs) you know, that it's really, really semantics at that point. And so we're owning this as our first million dollar year. So in terms of what we net this year, what we netted, we have a profit margin of 58%. That was our profit margin of 58%. So we netted 58% of $970,000. That was our profit, which consisted of 250K in salaries plus profit. Mm. So that was what we we netted. So our profit margin was 58%. That profit margin figure is always something that I really recommend focusing on because ultimately what you want is for your profit margin to stay consistent because obviously your numbers are going to change as you grow. And now when I look at those figures, honestly, the profit margin is a little bit lower this year than I would like in online business. You know, you can have profit margins up to 80, 90%. We normally have hovered somewhere between like the 60 to 80% mark. And it was a little bit lower this year because we had some expenses that I would definitely omit moving forward. And so that's something for me as the CEO next year to just be really, really mindful of. Um, And obviously you as CFO in the business, you know, for us to be having conversations about and looking at ways that we can reduce that. So those are our financials for the last year. How does it feel to share like uh, those details of of the finance? Because one thing I've always admired about you and your journey is is the transparency that you offer of the business like warts and all um every facet really and i guess that at the end of the day that's what you're doing you're sort of teaching and guiding people to kind of do what you've done in some ways but i feel like you know finance and the the nitty-gritty of the, the business finances can sometimes be a bit sort of private and protected but does it feel natural to share the financials of the business like that in such depth it's such a practice. I'm just so used to doing it now. You know, like I think I started sharing financials a couple of years ago and now it's just seems so easy and natural to share it and just doesn't bother me. And because mm. there's just nothing to hide, you know, it's helpful for people to get an insight into it. Exactly. And that's the thing is that I'm talking about it with clients so much, especially clients in six figure circles, swift inner circle, you know, they're asking questions about this and, and it's important to know. And obviously I am not a financial advisor. I'm not an accountant. I'm never going to give financial advice, but I can say things like, well, our accountant very much, you know, says to us that these profit margins are really high. I mean, if you're looking at like product-based business, it's amazing if you do like 10% profit margin in a product-based business. A gym has a profit margin of like 2 to 3%. So, you know, profit margins in online business are amazing. It's one of the benefits of online business for sure of, of selling digital products or service-based business is that you can have and create these really high profit margins. And so it just feels like I'm not giving the full story if I'm not talking to this. I just have no problem getting it wrong. You know, I'm so open to, again, that conversation around leadership. I'm so open to people making any perceptions they want to about these stats and knowing that I just don't really care. It's none of my business. 
and being so proud of this. You know, these figures include things like giving bonuses to our team. They include, you know, me being really proud of like the wages that we pay our team. It includes things like, well, this was this year, but, you know, last week we donated $3,740 to Beyond Blue. Like I just have nothing to hide in these figures. Okay, next, I'm just conscious of time. So I'll keep us rolling forward. This one looks to be talking around the masterminds, maybe. Uh, Do your programs help those that feel lost? in business? Yeah. So I know that as part of this, we also got asked how many places are sold out at each level of the mastermind. And so I I really wanted to to speak to the masterminds because something that I found really interesting was that we actually got quite a lot of questions about the structure of the business and the masterminds themselves. And so I just wanted to, to take some time to really speak to the mastermind model that we have at Swift Ventures and the structure of that and what it all looks like. Mm. In terms of the mastermind themselves, so to answer that question around, do my programs help those that feel lost in their business? The thing that I would say there to answer that question is it really depends on at what stage of your business you're feeling lost. Mm. So if you're feeling lost, not knowing how to start your business or you're feeling lost wondering what a business looks like for you, then the masterminds that I run won't be supportive for you because the first mastermind Swift Mind is designed for anyone who's already earning 2K per month in their business. And so if that's the stage that you're at, it's not quite right for you. Although if you're at a stage in your business where you're earning say six figures or multi six figures and you're feeling lost at that point, then it's absolutely right for you if you're a service-based coach, creative or consultant. So I currently, in terms of what sold out looks like, the current round of the masterminds, are we sell out at 25 people in SwiftMind 25 people in six-figure circle and around 12 to 13 people in Swift Inner Circle. So that's been sold out. Now, for the next rounds, there is a shift there. So I haven't shared this publicly yet, but something that we're doing for the next round is, or the next rounds is making some big shifts in the business, some really exciting shifts in the business where for me personally, I'm wanting to work with less clients. I'm wanting to work in a more intimate way to create a more of an intimate dynamic with our clients, but also create more spaciousness in, in my life. And so because of that, sold out is going to look different. So sold out in Swift Mind will look like 16 people in six-figure circle, 11 people, and same again for Swift Inner Circle, which is 12 to 13 people. So that's what sold out looks like. And um, obviously hope that answers the question for anyone who is unsure about, you know, whether it's right for them if they're feeling lost. I'm just going to speak to as well before we move on for anyone that's maybe new to our world, what each of the masterminds are as well. So there are three masterminds that I run in Swift Ventures, Swift Mind, Six Figure Circle, and Swift Inner Circle. Swift Inner Circle, I talk about much less because that's something where we haven't actually advertised to bring in any new clients to that program. Uh, since it started, we have a wait list for that program and it's by invitation only. And it's for you if you're earning 300K plus in your business. 
So I really don't tend to talk about Swift Inner Circle because it's something where I invite people in from Six Figure Circle or if they're on the wait list. So the two programs to talk about more, which are the ones that we feel every six months are Swift Mind and Six Figure Circle. So Swift Mind, as I mentioned before, is for you if you're currently earning 2K plus per month in your business and you're wanting to build to 10K months. So it's for the person that's currently wanting to build the six-figure business. Six-figure circle is for you if you're currently earning six figures in your business and you're wanting to build to multi-six, half a million in your business. They're really the three core different levels of the masterminds. And the reason why I structure it in that way is very much so that you're getting the support you most need at each level. And you're also surrounded by people who are at a really similar stage of business to you. Awesome. Next question. Have the short workshops converted well to mastermind clients? I haven't actually tracked this numbers wise, but anecdotally and energetically, yes, it's been a really great way for me to A, connect with people who are already warm to my work and just have an opportunity to serve and support them. And B, I've seen that our wait list has just increased every single time after we've run those workshops because I've been directing people back to that wait list. I work off the belief that once somebody pays for one of my programs, they're likely going to purchase from me again. They're likely going to join me in my world again. Again, I've never run the stats on this, but our retention and resign rates, well, in our mastermind, they're around 50% and higher, which is pretty rare in a mastermind model. But outside of that, in terms of our other programs, I, I know that we have a lot of people that join us for something once and then continue on in another program. And so because of that, short workshops, I know are a really great way for people to come into my orbit and to work with me, pay to work with me once. And then obviously that increases chances of them wanting to work with me again, which I love. Okay, cool. And we are now at our last question. Uh, so I'll ask this and then uh, hand the reins back over to you. How many people on average on the wait list for the mastermind and what's the conversion to sale from it? Yeah. So again, I love these questions so much because they really required me to go and get some of that math and share some of the strategy behind why we do what we do. So currently on our mastermind waitlist, we have 484 people on that waitlist. We haven't filtered it recently. And I anticipate that if we did, we would potentially lose about a hundred people from that waitlist. That's excluding anyone who has already come through previous rounds, but that's the waitlist as it stands, 484 people on the waitlist. Like I mentioned before, in terms of numbers, if we totaled everyone across the three masterminds right now, we have about 60 clients at this point in the business. And so as a percentage, what that means is it's about 12% of you know, is, is in the mastermind. So about 12% of the wait list, which is a pretty high conversion rate, but wait lists are obviously, they're like, your really, really warm people. If someone's joining a wait list, they are your warmest, warmest people. So yes, that's quite a high conversion rate. And, and we do tend to operate off higher conversion rates, which I think again, is just a really great example of how while, you know, an average might be that you convert at one to 2%, which is industry average, you can absolutely convert higher. And it is a case of things like 
you know, doing great work, having great social proof, you know, all those things that that improve your conversion rates. And so we absolutely do convert higher for our masterminds. But again, it's a, a wait list is where your warmest, warmest people are. Well, that's it. That concludes our uh, Q&A um, burning questions from your community. So uh, if you like, I'll hand things back over to you to, uh, to close it out. Does that sound like the go? That sounds great. Thank you so much for being here with me. I've loved this episode and asking me all the questions from our people. It's it's been really fun. I've really loved that there's been a really good opportunity to talk about, you know, so many different things, obviously heaps of strategy stuff and heaps of mindset stuff and questions about money, which just, yeah, it's the best. It's affirming to me that these are all the things that you're really wanting to know about. So thank you for asking these questions. Thank you all of you for asking these questions. I really hope that there's been something in these answers that have supported you and inspired you and motivated you in your business journey right now in this moment. As you are hearing this episode for our 100th episode, as it's being released, we are beginning to sell the next rounds of our masterminds. And I believe across the board, we are over 50% sold out. And so if you are interested in joining the next round of Swift Mind or Six Figure Circle, then my biggest recommendation would be to join that wait list because I share it there first and usually I only share it there. So if you jump on over to that wait list, I will then share with you how you can apply to be part of Swift Mind or Six Figure Circle. The next round kicks off end of September. So we'll pop the wait list in the show notes so that you can jump on over and access that. Darling, thank you for asking me those questions. You did a very, very good job. No worries. Thanks again. Thanks so much for having me. So good. 